judges. This morning was Deborah. She was a, one of the judges of Israel. And, and they, the people would cry out, and God would appoint this judge. And then they would have peace because they cried out to God. And then after some years of peace, they would get comfortable again. And what would happen is they would go back into turning away from God, twisting away from God, doing their own thing. This is our story. This is an ongoing thing that we have to say, God, I need you to bring me to the end of myself every day. So this will be our continual battle, the core foundation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and live in His kingdom. And again, we see these paradoxes that He brought and taught in His coming, that His kingdom was an upside-down kingdom. The king was born in a stable. You know what I mean? The, the king of kings washing the disciples' feet. We talked a little bit about this on Wednesday with the youth. The king of the ages, here's his example, before he is to be crucified, he takes what was considered the lowest job in the house. It was the lowest slave in the house had to wash feet. Back then it was very normal because people walked everywhere. And you're walking on paths where donkeys and camels walked, and you can let your imagination do the rest. And people are walking there. And then they get to a home, and if there was a gathering, what would always be a very normal thing is at, at the front door, the lowest slave in the house, the newest, highest, bottom of the, the totem pole, would meet you at the door. They would sit you down. They would get a basin. They would wash your feet. And then you would, cut, you would come in to the house. It was kind of interesting when we first moved to Minnesota. Everybody, you know, in the south, you before you shoot through the house. And I don't know if that's just the south or just the snow. I'm not quite sure. But people took out their shoes, and, and, and that's kind of a normal thing. And I think it was, you know, the, the, the whole mudroom idea of the snow. Well, back then, because of the walking sandals, and, and again, you know, there's poo everywhere. And, and so this slave was put down to the lowest place. You know that this slave was glad to see the new slave hired. And I'm glad to be going up the distance or something. I just don't want to wash people's feet anymore. And here's Jesus, even paradoxical of how he lived. He, this is, you know, the night before he was betrayed, he's sitting out having the Passover meal with his disciples, and he gets down and gets to the basin. And that's why Peter, if you read this, book, why did Peter go, why are you doing this? He said, I, we, I should be washing your feet. You shouldn't be doing that. And Jesus said, I have to fulfill righteousness sake. I have to, what you see me do, I want you to do for each other. Not necessarily that we wash because we don't have that kind of same context, but we serve one another. We serve each other. The king of kings becoming the humble servant. The upside down kingdom. And so this is, again, this is an ongoing revelation that the Lord wants to to speak to our hearts. Um, here's the key passage of our series, and this is kind of that key paradox. So let's go to the next slide. Um, Jesus saying this, he said to the crowd, and I'm not, uh, last week I unpacked this as kind of the intro passage, but I just want you to look at that. But I also want you to ask the question. And that's where uh, I prayed that this morning when when when, uh, when we hear something, we hear a word from the Lord, or you hear a message, or you read the Bible, or if God is speaking to you, we need to stop and we need to always make it a regular practice to say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you speaking to me? And when Jesus said this, we need to ask, how does this apply to my life? 
Again, not the not the broken person that you that, that you know that is going through a lot, and we can tend to again that the broken all those people have gone through a lot. They're really broken. No, we are broken. Jesus said, it, uh, "Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me." And he says, "Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will save it." And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and? In the process, you are destroyed. You lose your soul. Everything that you thought you wanted, you get it, and that you forfeit your soul. But what is God speaking to us today? In other words, He's saying to live, you have to die. There's the paradox. To truly live, you must die. When you come to the end of yourself, you will realize that that is when life begins. And it doesn't usually feel that way, does it? In fact, it rarely ever feels that way. I mean, common sense would say it just doesn't work that way. To truly live, you pursue your dreams and you pursue self things and you are always trying to think about yourself and you put yourself in the forefront. Again, that's not to say that we shouldn't pursue things, but it's how we pursue them. But we see this over and over again in the Gospels when anyone encounters Jesus. The things that are most important to them are put right on the line. And you notice when Jesus would engage someone, and you, whether it was the religious trying to trap them or someone that was broken and lost, and he would come in contact with them, he would always cut to the chase and he would say something that would cut to the heart of where they were. And he always did that. And, he, and the things that they thought were important, he would put them on the line. And basically saying, are you ready to accept the true life that I have for you? And that's his challenge to us as well. I love the story of Zacchaeus. Many of you guys know that. It was, he realizes that he, he, although he has status and everything that this world has to offer, He's been pursuing, he's understood how to be very shrewd and very, uh, even to the point of being dishonest, gain, but status, privilege, wealth, everything he thought he wanted, but he realized he was spiritually bankrupt. And he wanted to get a, a view of Jesus. Here's that Jesus is coming and has maybe seen uh, what Jesus has done in changing the lives of other people. And he wants to get a, a peek at him and this short guy, you know, that can't see over the crowd. We told that he's very short and that statue climbs the tree so that he can get a better look at what is Jesus said that he is. He calls him by name and he says, I'm going to go to his house today. And we see, although he thought he had everything he wanted, he was really spiritually bankrupt. The woman at the well, she realizes that her life that she's been living has left her empty. She has been going, and we, you know, we know through the exchange that she has with Jesus, because again, he cuts right to the heart of it. He said, "Go, go and get your husband." And he's getting, he's getting, and she said, "I don't have a husband." And he said, "You're right. You've been married five times, and the guy you're living with is not your husband." She said, "I could see that you're a prophet, maybe." Good, good guess, because he sees right through his right through his heart. The life you're living, this is, in other words, it's not a relationship. There's no man that's going to help you. There's no relationship that's going to heal the thing that only I can heal. And this encounter changes everything. In fact, she goes and becomes the evangelist of the city. They come out, and people are coming to salvation in Christ. 
So again, this common theme of the Bible, Jesus is teaching. And then Paul takes it when he writes the letters to the churches, Peter's letters, James' letters, John's letters, before a truly known Christ can be in relationship with him. Jesus is teaching the Word of God. He comes face to face with who we are, um, what we think about life, what we think is most important, and it will turn it upside down. And again, today's paradox is to be whole, you must be broken. From the Beatitudes. Remember when Jesus comes and he right out of the gate, this is his first sermon. He is tempted in the wilderness by the enemy. He comes and he begins to call his disciples and he begins to teach them and the crowd gathers around and we have Matthew 5 and 7 which is the Sermon on the Mountain. He begins with the Beatitudes. A lot of us memorize that blessed are you if, blessed are you if, and he's talking about what true contented and happiness really means. The Sermon on the Mountain and, and, and the Beatitudes to his disciples in the crowd gathers and they start each start with how you will be blessed. And he's not just talking about how you will be happy. But, but, but the, 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 the realm of the word blessed is content, at peace, and the life you were meant to live. If you really want to understand true peace, true content, contentment, and the life you were meant to live, this is what he's speaking. These statements, they give us a, a glimpse into his core teachings and the core teachings of the human, why he came why he showed up, what is he trying to convey. And they all have to do with coming to the end of yourself. That's the common thing. So if you go through the Beatitudes, you boil them all down at the heart of the issue Jesus is resting because no one will get away without your toes getting stepped on. In fact, that's the whole summer on the mount. He's breaking through a lot of the religious stuff, you know, the religious people of the day that had the, the law memorized and, you know, he would go beyond just the law and say, here, there's heart behind it. I say to you, don't commit murder. You know, it says it's written, don't commit murder. But I say to you, even if you have hatred in your heart towards someone, you're committing murder in your heart. What about your heart? That's what Jesus is saying. And he steps on our toes. And so the first thing that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is, we're going to look at the next, the next slide here. We're going we're gonna to dive into this of what it means to be truly called. He said, Blessed are the foreign spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you just look at this, apart from Jesus seemingly being wrong, okay, he wasn't wrong, he just clarified. You don't go home and say, I said that Jesus was wrong. Doesn't this statement seem foolish from an earthly perspective? To give his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, to those who are poor in spirit doesn't seem very common, does that? It's like, um, you're struggling and you're going through this. How about, here's the key to my car. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the key to the kingdom to those that are poor in spirit. The poor in spirit would be those who seem like they don't have anything to offer. They don't have any influence, any major influence. And we, a lot of times we look for, to attach ourselves with people that what, that have influence or can help us get ahead. What is the motivation of why we are drawn to people? These are the people who are stuck. They seem useless. They seem helpless. Right? Let's go to the poor in spirit. I'm going to give the kingdom of heaven to you. I love the message paraphrase. 
It says that blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and His rule. That's what Jesus is getting at. And again, breaking down, you will be blessed to tell peace living the life you were meant to live when you realize your brokenness and desperate need of me. And that's what Jesus was getting at. When you come to the end of your road, now we're getting somewhere. You're trying, you're, 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 you're kind of done living your own life. You're done. You're exhausted from trying so hard. Self-reliance, self-strength, and, and you get to the place where I'm just so tired. And Jesus said, now we're ready to talk. Now we're getting somewhere. This is where I've been trying to bring you to your end of yourself all along. That's why in our lives, circumstances, God is always speaking. And He'll allow circumstances. He'll allow things to happen in life because He's trying to bring us to that place where we say, God, I, I can't do it anymore. And He's like, exactly. Now we're talking. Now you can take a few cross. Now you can die to yourself. Because before you were only mostly dead. Why do I do that? I was like, like, you guys are Princess Bride fans. Come on. But that's the beauty of what Jesus does when He calls us to that place to come to the end of ourselves. He makes up the difference between Himself. Don't you love that? With less of you, there's more of me that can be there. It's how He built the kingdom. It's the one that we're a part of today. He takes broken people and He makes them whole. He took what seemed like a broken plan and He changed the world. The cross that seemed like the greatest defeat became the greatest victory. And everything He did, was, it, that, that was the core of who He was. How He taught, even, again, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Advent, who He teaching first His disciples, even in who He called as disciples was paradoxical. Because if you study the history of how rabbis chose disciples, and Jesus was a rabbi, he was a teacher, he was a teacher, but how rabbis would choose disciples was not the way Jesus did. These guys that he chose, they, had, they would have aged out of the program. They weren't the cream of the crop, the top when they were little kids, you know, when they were memorizing the whole, you know, five, the first five books of the Bible, the, 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 the law, the Pentateuch. Um, these guys would have aged out. They would have failed out. They were grown men. Now they're working with their dad, fishing or being tax collectors. And so they, none of these guys would have been, if you sat around with a group of rabbis in that day, and you would have said, all right, we're going to pick some disciples. They would have all been looking at these young kids, teenagers that were the cream of the crop. They would never have given Peter, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, Bartholomew. They would have never even considered them. Because these were guys were considered just average, ordinary, broken down men that kind of failed out of school and, uh, you know, the, the rabbi school and they didn't do very well. We would not have chosen them. That's who Jesus went. Because he said, I'm going to make a statement. Take what the world considers broken and I'm going to do my thing. Because the religious spirit, and we can all become religious, the religious become self reliant. I can. I can do it. I'm strong in myself. And that is what, you, you know, if you have enough religion in you, then that all of a sudden makes you right before God. It does not. And that's why the religious people today, they were very prideful because they knew I had a lot of head knowledge, but it was not transforming their heart. That is why Jesus was grieved and spoke to them. 
students of these guys who were broken with issues. Anybody got an issue here? Or issues? Anybody else dysfunctional? Put your hands up. People, you're lying now. That's why we're here. We're all broken. We just don't like to admit it. It's truth, right? So he made an eternal statement about who he chose. He, what he's saying was, to be whole, you must be broken, realizing you're broken. And that's the battle. We don't think that we're that broken. Or we compare ourselves to others, just like this gal. It's easy to compare. Or, oh, God called me to minister to those ladies, those broken ladies, because I'm somehow really, really awesome, and they're not. And I'm not saying that first thing you're thinking, but it's easy for us to categorize and say, but not to say that God doesn't want us to minister to others, but how we minister, but the most effective ministry is out of our own brokenness. That's why God redeems us. He can take an alcoholic and He can deliver them and set them free and they can minister to the people that are in alcohol or drug addicts or people that have been caught in, in different ways of life and, 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 and God can redeem them and make, make something beautiful. We can bring Him our actions and He can make something beautiful and He can redeem us. And, but we realize it's our own brokenness. Steve and I talk about this all the time. Some of our greatest messages come out of our own failures. What God's teaching us. We don't preach from a place of, we've got it all figured out and we're going to invite you guys up here with me. No, we're all together in this. But we don't, we, we, we like to sometimes act like we have it all together or we create a facade and try to convince people that we do. And sometimes it's not even like, I don't, I don't need Jesus as much as I need to figure out how to not look broken. Self-reliance, enough strength. I talked about this a little last week. You know, enough power. I'm a strong man. I'm a strong woman. I don't need anything. And what does Jesus say? You will be blessed. You will be contented. You will be at peace. You will be at purpose. And you'll realize the life that you need to live when you are broken and you realize you need me. Realize you can't fix your stuff. You weren't intended to fix yourself. And I'm here to tell you, by all experience, it's exhausting being the God of your own life. It's tiring. That's why when, remember when Paul... Before he was converted, he was Saul, and he was religious, and he thought he was doing God a favor, and he was rounding up Christians and having them arrested and persecuted and martyred. But then he encountered Jesus, and Jesus changed everything, and he asked Paul, and he changed his name from Saul to Paul, well, actually, it was just, he didn't change his name, but he, he, was, he was from now on saying, I'm going to go by Paul instead of Saul. He was Paul both. Interestingly enough, Paul means small and, and humble. He used to call me Paul now. But Jesus said, how long are you going to kick against the goads? You guys know an ox goad is a metal thing that prodded the oxen to when they were in the field, when they wanted to see it's a metal thing. And Jesus said, how long are you going to kick against that? You being your own God, it, it, you're going to kick against the goads. And it hurts. And it's painful. That's, that's what you're doing. Your self-strength and your self-reliance, how long are you going to kick against it? We're all broken. 
and we all need Jesus. That's why the church exists. One of my favorite Old Testament passages, a picture, um, and some of you guys will be familiar with this, is Jeremiah. God is speaking to Jeremiah. It's a, it's a word for Israel, but I think ultimately it's a word for us because he said, I went down to this potter's wheel. I saw this potter working with clay, and I, he said, I noticed that, that what he had formed was marred. It was messed up. It was broken. And he said, and the potter took it into his hands again, and he needed it, and he broke it down so that he could reform it. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Because Israel, again, Israel's history, they were on a, they, they, they rode the ultimate roller coaster. We love God, we don't love God, we love God. And, and, it, and this was a time where they were in a, a broken state, and Jeremiah, as a prophet, trying to speak to them. And he said, Folks, we are broken, we need God. We need to stop running away from Him and start running to Him. He is the potter. In several other places, Paul calls him, calls him the potter. And he said, I saw this that has been marred, broken. But then it was in the potter's hand, what a great place to be. And that's when we said, God, I am broken and I need you and I, I want to be in your hands. And he takes us in his hands and he takes all of our brokenness. He takes all of our hurt and our pain and he takes the ashes that we have made out of our own life and he says, in his hands, he begins to form us and make us and mold us and reform us into being who he has created us to be. But we can't be there until we realize that we're broken and we need to be in his hands. How many times we get in his hands and we get out of his hands and we get in his hands and we get out of his hands? I got it, I got it. That's the constant. You're broken, you need me every day. We're broken, we're shattered. But sometimes we try to self fit. I just had enough glue. Have you ever broken something to bits and you were trying to glue it together, but you knew down deep in your mind and your heart that there was no glue that was going to hold us together? Anybody ever been there? And it's like, you know what you need to do? You need to buy a new one. But sometimes maybe it's something that's been in the family for a long time or, you know, something of value and, and then you drop it and there's nothing worse than hearing that on the floor. It's one thing just to drop a, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's something you don't really care about. But if it's something that you really have liked, you know, something that's beautiful, lamp, I don't, I don't know. But in your mind, you think, you know, if I just had enough glue, I think I can fix it. Guys, in our lives, that's why we need Jesus. There's not enough glue. You don't have enough glue. You don't have enough self-reliance. You don't have enough self-truth. You don't have enough self-help. There's not enough self-help books, teachings. If that were the case, look at, look at, it's a billion-dollar industry. Self-help, becoming a better you. There's books, there's tapes, there's teachings on everywhere. We have more of it than we ever have, and there's more brokenness than ever. Can I cue you in on something in the church today? It's not working. It doesn't work. We try and we try and try. And Jesus is the answer. And so when Jesus called his disciples, interestingly enough, he was calling them to something. And the end of me was a call to them to be who God had created them to be. And the call is to us. And let's look at these few things here as we kind of close down. First of all, but the end of me, I think it's coming. The end of me is, one, the beginning of trust. It's a call to trust. When Jesus called his disciples, he was calling them to a place of trust. 
in John 1, we have this where, where, where they have first, at first they get to see what he's all about. They ask those questions. They begin to hear his teaching before it come, totally wrecked all that they knew. But at some point, Jesus called them to leave their jobs, to leave everything that was familiar, leave their reputations and their comfort to follow him. And again, here's the paradox. Is what he's saying is, I want you to follow me. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to wreck your life. But it'll be worth it. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? We all have trust issues. Some of us more than others, depending on what has happened in our lives. But they had to come to the end of themselves. They had to learn to trust Him. Without coming to a place of the edge of their comfort zone, they would have never had to trust what they did. Think about it. I mean, you're, you're there. A lot of them are working. You know, James and John and, and Peter and Andrew working for their fathers. They, you know, it's the father's business. They're fishing. Um, Matthew's a tax collector. He's kind of got an income coming in. And, and everything is familiar. And he's saying, I want you to come away with me. I'm going to call you to follow me. To let go of pride. To let go of familiarity. To let go of maybe some relationships. And trust me that I have best for you. Do you trust me? That's what he was asking us. Now, to follow Christ, he's not asking you to quit your job. He might. But he's going to call you out of a place that you're not going to be comfortable at times. And he's going to say, you trust me. You trust me. And when they did that, when they denied it, they, they, they found trust in Jesus and it changed everything. Again, but we read the, the gospel. They struggled. Right? They struggled with unbelief. They had struggles all the time. But it changed their lives. And notice that he did not explain to them everything. That's why it's called trust. He didn't sit down and say, before I call you to be my follower, let me break out the list. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to be misunderstood. It's going to go, uh, you're going to go a deadly counterculture at the time. People are going to hate you. They're going to, and he did sometimes say that, you know, you'll be persecuted. They didn't quite get it. But when he first sat down, he just didn't say, and by the way, all of you guys, except one, are going to be killed for following me. And John, before you get too excited, you'll be in prison for the rest of your life. He didn't map out. He just said, follow me. Follow me. And it says that they came in and trust. They dropped their net. Matthew got up from the tax collector group and he was going to follow. Oh, I did in my life. I don't want normal anymore. I want you. So it's a place of trust. And Jesus is calling us to trust Him. And that's again, we, we have a hard time trusting. We want guarantees, don't we? Don't we? We're built that way. We want a guarantee. We want to know how things are going to work out. Remember the trust fall? Anyone guys ever remember that trust fall where you fall back and people catch you? So for some people, it's horrifying. For some people, it's like it makes you nervous because they just, just fall in your life trying to scramble to catch them. But you know that, you know, it's like standing up on something. And, and, but we know what? We like to trust fall, but we like to keep our eyes on the captures. Some of those people that, oh, you know, they won't do it with their eyes closed or blindfolded, and they just cannot do it. But we like to have guarantees. We want to trust Paul and be in control at the same time, and, and you can't have it both ways. I'll, I'll give you my life, 
to you, but first, I need to do this. And remember, Jesus said that. Jesus, I'll follow you. He had those several examples in, in John. Jesus, I'll follow you, but let me go do this first. But let me go do that first. Let me go get some things in order. And Jesus said, no, I, I, need, you to, I need you to trust me that I'll have the best life for you. Forsaking everything and coming and following me. But Jesus, I, I'll follow you, but can, can we have a guarantee that I'll have comfort? Can I write that into my follow contract? I'd like to have ease. I would like to have retirement. I would have, like to have earthly blessings. I would like to have a lake cabin. I would like to have this. I would like to have three cars and a two-car garage. I only need a two-car garage. One can stay outside. I want people to be nice to me. I want no hard times, no persecution, and no suffering. Where do I stand? And there are no guarantees. Jesus says, I, I want your life. I want you. Do you trust me? Do you believe that He has eternal good for you? Do you believe that eternity with Him is greater than any earthly pleasure? Do you believe, like Paul says, that nothing compares to knowing Jesus? Nothing. That all of the, all the rest of it, any eternal blessing or earthly blessings, is all garbage. So the enemy is beginning to trust. Next, the end of me is the beginning of a new identity. New identity. As the Bible calls Jesus, they continue to become, come to the end of themselves, following Jesus and learning from Him what He meant to be different people altogether. Notice that, again, Jesus didn't just teach it, He modeled it. They watched Jesus love the unlovely, they watched Him serve the unfortunate, they, they watched Him help the hopeless and helpless, they watched Him wash their own feet and becoming a slave. And what happened when they saw this happen and him modeling it? Here's the King of Kings, the Messiah. They begin to change who they were. And their hearts begin to take a new shape. Now again, it took time. They were broken. They argued about being who was the greatest. They doubted. They had fears. And that is us. But they, yet, they continued to follow him. Again, we talked earlier, you know, we saw the video of that gal, Rachel, where it's easy to work with people and think that they're just broken and not realize their own brokenness. But as the disciples, the more they follow Jesus, they realize their own brokenness, didn't they? That's why they turned the world upside down. They, Jesus entrusted it into these broken people to carry on his mission. And that's why we are here today, is because of what they did. And that's why they would die willingly as martyrs. Because they believed who he was. And they said, we'll follow you even to death. And you are worth it. Because we've seen you, we know you, and you begin to change everything. And I love for Peter, he literally came to a new identity at the beginning of, uh, uh, you know, uh, we'll go to that scripture, just hit the next one, and it'll come down here from John 1.42. I love this exchange here. Then Andrew brought Simon. This is when Jesus was calling the disciples. He said to me, Jesus, looking intently at Simon. I love that word. He looked intently at him. He looked intently at us. And he says, will you come and be mine? Will you follow me? He said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Peter. I'm giving you a new identity. I know what other people have called you, but this is who I'm calling you. Peter means rock. That's why Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. 
That doesn't mean that, that Peter was somehow more awesome than the other disciples. It just so happens that the fulfillment of that was in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came. Peter began to preach the first message. It was the, it was the first message of the church. And he got the he got a chance to do that. Here's the guy that denied Jesus, that denied that he knew Jesus three times, right? I don't know him. Even to the point where he was calling out curses upon himself. I don't know him. And he re- rejected and denied Christ. And Jesus told him, you were going to do it. I'm, you're going to do it. But then Jesus restores him. Guys, if you have denied Christ, if you have pushed Jesus away, know that he wants to restore you back in the relationship with himself. So Peter preaches the rock, the foundation, the foundational message through the gospel. He gets to preach the first gospel message because the Holy Spirit comes Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes in power and many people are saved. But he changed Peter. He's saying, you gotta have a, you're going to have a new identity. You're not just this guy anymore. I'm changing who you are. And I love that, that, that Jesus can change us and give us a whole new identity. You know, I love the story of Jacob back in the Old Testament. And Jacob means deceiver. How would you like to be called that? Hey, deceiver, come here. Because the reason why they called him that is the planter. He was, when he was born, remember, he was the younger, but yet he had a hold of Esau's heel. They were twins. And they were, and it's like, you know, he's trying to, and ultimately later on he stole his brother's birthright. And, you know, he tricked him. And so when he's born, they see his hand on his brother's heel, and they go, that little deceiver, you little Jacob. Your name's Jacob. They don't they take offense to good biblical name. But, um, so that's what it means. But later on, he has this encounter with God. And God says, in this encounter, remember, he's struggled. I mean, he's trying to run from his brother. He is deceived. I mean, yeah, his whole life has been deception. He's kind of gotten ahead through, you know, just trickery and, and, and deception. And he has this encounter with God and God says, what's your name? I love this because his parents have called him Deceiver. God says, what's your name? And he says, you know who I am? God, I am Deceiver. My name is Jacob. That's who I am. What is he doing? He was coming to a place of brokenness. That's who I am. I understand. I'm a Deceiver. I got ahead by trickery. I want to. I want. I want to put all my cards on the table and understand God that I am. I, I, I'm tired of manipulating. I'm tired of tricking. I'm tired of deceiving to get ahead. I am deceiving you. And the Lord says that you've got this right now. You're broken. Now I can name you. You'll never be called Jacob. You're no longer going to be named Jacob because you will be called Israel, Prince of God. Guys, we need God to name us. We need to know who God says we are. I don't care what label has been on you, whatever thing that maybe people call you, maybe you've labeled yourself as, oh, I'm going to just continue to struggle with this and just going to continue to have this problem. I, this is all that I do in my life and I keep going back and God is saying no more. You need an encounter with God where He can say you have a new identity. You need to be called by God who you are. And He will speak to you who you are. You're no longer the fever. Peter, you're no longer Simon. You are the rock. I know you're struggling. I know you have doubts. I know you denied me, but you are going to be called rock. Let Jesus tell you who you are. Again, but we have to be broken to realize that. So the end of me is the beginning of trust, a new identity, and I'll say the end of me is the beginning of God's power. We need God's power in our life. 
I've been praying more and more, and the Lord has been stirring my heart to pray more and more for the supernatural power of God to be in effect in my life. I, 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 I want to do things that only He can pull off. I want to walk with Him in such a way that, that His power is, 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 is seen, not for my sake, but seen in and through me where people can't deny, well, God, that, that has to be God because we know you. But we need God's power. When I come to the end of myself, that is when God's power can be seen. As the disciples followed Jesus, they came to the end and said, the brokenness was on display more and more. And then reading through the Gospels, it makes it clear that the disciples were ordinary men and even kind of missed the point that a lot of times that yet they trusted Him. They followed Him. They let Him give them a new identity. They grew into new purpose. And the kingdom of heaven began to take residence in their heart. And again, these guys are which the church was founded. They were the foundational followers of Christ that the church was founded on. But His power can be seen through our brokenness. And that, of course, we're to love this passage. Here's Peter and John. They've been teaching and Jesus is gone. Now they are ushering in. They're filled with the Spirit of God. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in Scripture. You guys failed out in rabbi school. How do you guys have this authority? They're amazed. You see that? They notice that they're ordinary men. You guys are broken in and of yourselves. We know that you're not that special. And they're like, that's exactly right. And what was it? It was not how awesome they were, but something else was on display. And when we come to the end of ourselves, God's power can be manifest through us. I'm going to get to this more, but that's what Paul says. That I boast in my weakness. I'm going to unpack that a little more. So that his power can be seen. And they're saying, you guys, you have, you're ordinary men. You have no special training. We know that you're kind of broken. You're a fisherman. Fishermen can't be doing this stuff, can they? And all the fishermen said, yes, we can. You guys shouldn't be able to do this. They were amazed at the power of God in them. They recognized, and here was the key to see at the end, they also recognized them as men who what? Been with Jesus. That's the key. We don't just recognize that you're ordinary men. We recognize that you've been with Jesus, and there must be a, a tie there. Because when we're with Jesus and we're walking with Him, we're following Him, we come to enter ourselves and we say, I'll give you all my life in His. We, we walk in trust, we walk in a new identity, and we can walk in His power. And we can see God do what God does. What God does. What God does. It's supernatural in our region to see people come to Christ in unprecedented ways. Let's pray. We're going to take a moment. Lord, we love you today. And I pray, God, for your people this morning. Pray for each of our hearts, God, that we would know you in a greater way, that we would love you in a deeper way, that we would come to a, a greater place of trust. And if that's you this morning, if you need that trust in, and you need to just go all in, and you need to do that trust fall into the arms of Jesus, and give your life once and for all to Him, even trying to play games and trying to figure out how you can walk through this life with a little Jesus and a little of you and a more of you than Jesus some days and then you just say, Lord, I need to trust you and go all in. I encourage you to do that today. 
Lord, thank you that you give us a new identity. Thank you, God, that for your power. As we close today, we're going to close with communion. And I, I thought, what a great day to do this because 